uh, welcome everyone. Welcome to, I think this is episode seven now, maybe eight of, uh, of High Performance Survival. Um, and uh, we've been learning some good stuff from a lot of different leaders over the past uh, few weeks and uh, most of those from our business customers uh, who we have the pleasure of working and supporting and uh, who are going through various different uh, experiences as a result of lockdown and uh, everything that we're going through and uh, inspired by the kind of high performance survival article that I wrote a couple of months ago we've wanted to keep that theme going um, and obviously uh, a lot of what we talk about comes from the world of sport and the world of Olympic sport so I thought it's about time we get round to having someone from the world of sport to come in and talk about the leadership challenges that are coming with the result of um, well, I guess the announcement on March the 24th that the Olympic Games was going to be postponed. So I thought, well, if I'm probably able to call in a favour from someone in the rowing world. So I thought Brendan's a great guy to be able to talk to and had a great thinker around leadership and all sorts of stuff. So really looking forward to chatting with Brendan today. Um, so thank you hugely, sir, for being here. It's uh, really appreciated. And I guess to kick things off, Brendan, you know, you're, you're currently in the position of performance director for British rowing. If you could give us a little bit of a potted history of sort of what got you into this leadership position, various things you've experienced inside high performance sport and outside high performance sport, that will set us up for a great chat today as well. So uh, welcome and uh, yeah, a little bit, of, a little bit about you would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah thanks Chris. Um, uh, I suppose my uh, journey is I started as an athlete in Australia, uh, representing Australia in canoeing uh, and uh, yeah, was just uh, intrigued, excited, and inspired by you know how coaches created environments for athletes to thrive and succeed. And um, after my athletic career, I ended up I was a physiotherapist, um, spent some time working as a physio. Also, spent some time running my my parents' business, which was interesting because I took over from my father, who had a certain leadership style, but I had to operate in a different way, which has certainly given me some good learnings. Um, and then the opportunity uh, I, to launch and work in um, the Academy or Institute System Australia occurred and I started doing that and then uh, arrived over here in the UK in 2007 as the uh, head coach for the British Canoeing uh, Women's Program. Uh, I was head coach for the uh, uh, 2012 cycle of the whole program and then um, uh, decided I wanted to move more away from that technical delivery day to day into the broader leadership of how do I support each of the athletes and coaching units to thrive? Uh, and I stepped into the performance director role in British Triathlon, uh, which was an interesting uh, challenge with uh, some of the characters there. And, uh, and then the opportunity in 2018 to, to step into a rowing, which is a sport close to my heart, canoeing and rowing uh, have a friendly rivalry. Um, and, um, but it's also a huge challenge because it's a huge sport. We have 14 Olympic events and four Paralympic events and we have a squad in Caversham full-time of nearly 75 athletes plus another 40 staff so it's a big organization to really help you know create the right balance of challenge support so uh, that's been uh, my journey over the last two years. Yeah and, and you know you say you, you wanted that move into the performance director role and I've said you know in the commercial world for a long time now that I think every business should have a performance director but I, I don't think everyone knows what a performance director does so yeah, what, what would you say is the, the main responsibility or just what's the kind of uh, questions in your head every day that helps you fulfill the role of a performance director within an Olympic program? 
Yeah, I suppose the, the, the differentiation between that head coach role and that performance director role is, is the head coach is looking at the specific um, plan for that athlete delivery, the training plan on a daily, weekly basis. And the performance director role is ensuring that the broader strategy and the broader environment is enabling the coach and the athlete to thrive. It's about creating the, the right sort of uh, you know, climate for that, that coach and athlete to actually have the, um, you know, that artistic tension that sometimes brings out the good and the bad, but that's part of the role. So it's a little bit step removed and it's creating the shape of where we're going and giving people the space to then do, to create the magic, which is, you know, there's plenty of stories about coaches and athletes working together, but what they do need now more than ever in, a, in, in sort of a more professional setup is the space to do that because they have a lot of people trying to, you know, interfere or influence. So it's got to be about the space. Yeah, no, great, really clear. And uh, that, that kind of role every day of thinking, you know, how can I create the conditions, the climate, the opportunity for people to keep excelling and getting better who are already pretty good? You know, it's that... that that must be an interesting part of the challenge as well, given that, you know, there's highly experienced and world-leading people that you're still trying to do that stuff for. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why I get out of bed, because these people are already exceptional. Mm. And, and it's not that I believe um, I'm, I've got any, any better than them or I've got a magic answer, but I believe I can help them. And, and, and the challenge of finding what is that magic ingredient for them my first interaction with Alistair Brownlee uh, when I got offered the role of performance director for British Triathlon, he was a guy who was extremely successful. Yeah. And I yeah. went to meet him and his brother. And uh, we sat in a cafe in Leeds. And Alistair said to me, um, after about half an hour of just general chit-chat, I don't need you. The only reason I need you is that you control the gateway to the Olympic team selection. But other than that, I can sort myself out. Um, and I walked out of the cafe uh, strangely on cloud nine thinking, what a challenge. Yeah. You know, uh, this guy, I, I've got to find my way in. And, and it wasn't always easy, but I, I do feel like we got a good working relationship. And it was understanding what he was accountable for, what I was accountable for, and actually creating the opportunity for him to have the space to be the best he could be. Um, yeah. 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 That, that, that makes a reflect on... on one of the athletes ahead of the 2008 Olympics sitting down in a crew meeting with me saying, so why should I listen to you now? <laughs> what have you got to offer me? Yes. When you get people saying that, you know they're just in such a you know, great critical evaluation role and they're already looking, looking in the right, they're thinking in the right way. Yeah. yeah. So given that journey that you went through and the kind of experiences that you've had, March the 24th, we get the kind of worldwide announcement that the Olympic Games is being postponed. What, what went through your mind as the performance director around that time? You know, what was, what, what, what was the response and what were your personal reactions and then what were your kind of very well-trained high-performance reactions that then kicked in after that? Yeah, I think, um, I, I suppose my, my, my personal responses was, how am I going to help people find meaning from the last four years of, of work and graft? Mm -hmm. You know, um, there are the athletes, the coaches, they'd all been leading to this, you know, we work on a four-year cycle and we talk a bit about one day, one race. It doesn't matter how many races you've done in the past, they're just there to develop the skills. It was 
the week of uh, July 24th that we were going to show the rest of the world how, how great our athletes were. And I needed to give them a sense of, uh, or I, my immediate response was, how do I help them find some sense in what that's been? Because that was only, if I didn't get that right, that was not going to help them able to sort of thrive and recalibrate and reset for whenever the games were reallocated, which thankfully it was only sort of a week to 10 days later we found out the, the new dates. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so my immediate messaging to all the athletes and staff was that um, all the success of yourselves and this program has been more than just the medals. Yeah. The medals was the ultimate representation of all the graft, the work, the overcoming challenges, overcoming, and, and I need you to focus in on those things that you've been through in the last three to four years because they're going to give you meaning to then recalibrate and reset for the next four years. And, and that was the immediate message alongside making sure people had the right support networks in home isolation because everyone's been dealing with this differently. So that, that was the immediate thing I went through. Yeah, yeah, and that makes me think about, you know, so, some of the challenge that I figured someone in your position must go through pretty quickly there as well, because you've got to have the compassion and respect to kind of look after people, but this is high-performance sport, and very quickly the mind starts going to, well, how do we turn this to our advantage? How do we use this? And I'm yeah. interested in the balancing of, of that for you and the kind of messaging and the leadership around those things. Yeah, I, I think we, we had a few phases on that, if that makes sense. And that first two to three weeks was all about, uh, you know, I phrased it as our our sense-making and our well-being stage. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah how's, how, how are people coping yeah, and setting themselves up in the home isolation to, to cope and thrive? Uh, and how are people making sense of what we've done over the last, of, the, of this campaign up until now? But then it quickly then switches to how do we start getting ourselves back on track so that when we are able to launch our campaign, um, we're ready to, to go. And what we've done, I suppose, is say to the athletes, at, at the moment, um, I suppose for, for people who know a bit about rowing, they spend a lot of time on the water. They also spend a lot of time in the gym on the ergo, on the concept of ergo in particular. So each of the athletes was sent home with one of those So uh, and some gym equipment. And so the, the plan at the moment is continuing their general physiology development. It's also an opportunity for them to look at their individual work-ons or individual areas again because they're not trying to get in a boat with three other people or seven other people, which sometimes means your individual needs get suppressed. So we're using this time to sort of say, we're using this time to reinforce, let's get ahead of the game on those individual areas that could strengthen your performance. Yeah. Um, and then what we've sort of said to try and give people some clarity because athletes love a plan. Yeah. <laughs> is that you know, our, our, our Olympic campaign formally reboots on the 1st of September. Now, that may still be in some restriction on how we train and operate together, but we're just giving people the time and space over the next few months just to use that really to focus on themselves a little bit, as well as their broader team, but then sort of switch back into the campaign starts now and now we're going. Because to try and hold that mental, I suppose, focus from the 24th of March through to the 24th of July 2021 would not be sustainable. So. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's always one of the big challenges anyway, isn't it? There's, there's the exciting goal all the way down the line, but you've got to stay in the moment and earn the right to, to get there. And that, you know, that, that's always a, a challenge. I, I just love that thought of all the businesses that we work with, we're kind of getting everyone ready to work from home with laptops and other equipment, and you're running around making sure that the athletes have got... Yeah. 
and weights and you know whatever else is going to be. Well, we, we we actually set up a delivery service because not all the athletes could fit an ergo into their car. So we had some of the like some of the facility guys at our centre load up our the trucks that we have to tow tra- to tow trailers around, and they were doing a drop a drop off service around uh, <laughs> around um, Reading area, sort of to get 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 ergos into athletes' houses. Yeah, yeah, and and I, and I think that's that's really interesting. Where you know it feels like the models flipped. So normally you've got this kind of the consolidated sort of everyone working together at Cabersham, sort of working a lot on the collective stuff and benefiting from the collective. And now you're kind of going, right, well, let's get the individual parts as strong as possible. Yeah. Let's provide everyone the opportunity to be as ready as possible to come back, you know, better individuals. And then that's just quite interesting having that kind of opportunity to really flex away from, you know, that that normal environment. No, no, it is, and, and it's, a, it's. I suppose we haven't got to any consensus, but there's, you know, we're starting to talk about, well, how would you do this in a normal environment? Because the opportunity to work on some of these individual things, oftentimes, like I said, gets put as a secondary or, or gets gets placed second behind the need of the, world, the overall crew. So there is some benefit in doing this at the moment, and there's this, this current state of uh, how we're operating is definitely asking us to... Not, not to say that we should change how we've operated in the past, but what are the things that we could amplify a bit more and what are the things that we could maybe sort of dampen a little bit or re-emphasise? And I think there's a lot of discussion going on at the moment and over the next few weeks we're hoping to really recalibrate that for when we are able to go back into the new normal, as people are saying to, to yeah, call it. Yeah, absolutely, the new normal. So, uh, yeah, and there's quite a lot of decision-making and sort of, you know, reacting and responding. Have you sought out any particular counsel during this time or do you, have you had any input or has there been any of your previous kind of leadership experiences that have been particularly helpful just in terms of keeping you in a place feeling confident and in control? Yeah, I, I think, well, uh, I suppose there's two, two things. I suppose for me, Chris, when, when the, um, uh, you know, when this was sort of, um, you know, so the pandemic was starting to sort of like, Mm-hmm. come up we sort of knew at some stage we might be moving into a lockdown um but alongside that we were already planning for the 2024 cycle right okay. and in the 2024 cycle there are already some areas of evolving the practice and program that we were looking at so we we're sort of already sort of starting to question some of these things anyway as a leadership team uh and so actually now we've got a bit of an opportunity to start talking about it in a little bit more detail at this point in time I think the other thing for me is that uh, I do work with, I've got a couple of people I sort of like use to, I suppose, more check and challenge, not check and challenge some of my strategic thinking and, and leadership thoughts. And um, Peter Keane, who's been very uh, highly involved with the UK sports system over the years, is one of those guys. So I've been using him to bounce ideas off. Um, the performance directors across all the sports catch up every on a regular basis. Uh, and obviously, in this current state, we've been they're trying to set up a few more of those, uh, and, and that's really helpful to sort of, you know, get a sense of what other sports are experiencing because you can look too inward. And yeah. I was on a call only um, a call only on Tuesday, which was, uh, you know, where some of the experience of some of the PDs, like you know, their athletes aren't able to do anything near normal training, whereas we are. So sharing those experiences that just helps keep you sort of a bit grounded and I suppose, uh, you know, like keep calm. And, and, and I suppose from an experience point of view, 
uh, even though it's not the same, but walking into, when I walked into the world of triathlon, I'd never worked in triathlon, I'd never done triathlon, uh, endurance sport, I, I still wouldn't want to do endurance sport, I was always a sprint athlete when I did things. Um, so I was walking in into an, a, a complete unknown and I had to use the collective knowledge around me and, and people around me to help guide me and, and then reflect that back to them. And, and so I feel like even though I've been in rowing now for 18, 20 months, I know the sport, the people really well, this is so different. It's a bit back to that, but we don't know what we're in now. So it's okay just to sit with this uncertainty. Let's go back to what's important to us around supporting athletes, around supporting coaches, and then reimagine that for this environment. Because, yeah, and so it's allowed me to pry that approach and feel confident in that approach because I had that experience because I had to walk into triathlon and go, right, I have to feel, have to be happy with being a bit uncertain about what it may look like, but I can interpret and understand what they understand is good practice and then try and reflect that back to them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That, that, that's really clear. That, that's that's um, absolutely, yeah, really. Uh, that, that consistency of seeking out your own support network, because I guess in a leadership role, it's very easy to end up being isolated and feeling isolated a lot of the time. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think that's somewhere where I don't thrive. And I know when I'm at my worst, it's when I feel like I haven't used that external... And, and, and it's external check and challenge, not, not to give me the answer, but to really sort of nearly let, uh, stress test what my thinking is so I can then actually try and engage it with my staff. So it's really important for me to, to keep connected to that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, it's really strong. And, and, you know, we were talking earlier about that kind of the going to the individuals and moving away from the kind of collective setup in, in Caversham. And, you know, and, there, and there's so much that in rowing is to do with being connected, you know, moving the boat together, but then you've got the training set up where everyone's on the ergs next to each other yeah. and there's that sense of togetherness. Um, there's so much value that comes from that, you know, yeah. working together. Is, is there anything you've been able to do while the athletes and the coaches are kind of separated that's allowed that, that, that opportunity to, you know, to that, that important ingredient to stay alive? Have you been able to kind of compensate in some way? Yeah, and I think that was one of the things in that initial stage about uh, sort of calibrating people's well-being was that a huge part of the support network for the athletes and the coaches was the fact that they were normally together every day with each other, you know what I mean? And even though sometimes they resented that <laughs> when they wanted a bit of space, that, that's a huge part of their support network. So what we've done is that each of the coaches with their individual sort of groups set up uh, twice-weekly uh, Zoom calls or hangouts and just to connect with each of the athletes. And then every two weeks we do like um, either a men's squad or a women's squad because normally the whole squad sees each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they get on, they just get everyone on Zoom. <laughs> you know, we're talking sort of 28 athletes with the yeah. coaches yeah. and literally spend two hours just connecting with each other and sharing stories. Um, it's it's a bit clunky, but at least you know all the feedback has been oh it was really good to see so and so because if you're only working in your little squad yeah okay that might be your training unit well you know of a group of four athletes or eight athletes but on a regular day in Caversham you'd still see everyone else so we've just been trying to connect to that uh, and set that up as well as we can and the athletes are uh, are finding the space in between those calls positive. But also, they're really looking forward to having those connections. I know. I know some of the coaches have even set up like, 
you know, the, the guys will do the ergo at the same time and they'll all just get themselves on FaceTime. So they're literally like doing an ergo, even though they're in their backyards spread across the country, they're actually watching each other do the ergo as they normally would in, in, in the training centre. So, yeah, you know. yeah. Getting a full volume and getting the, you know, the sound of the yeah. together. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. And, and, and I, well. No, I was, was going to say, it is one of the things that we, we talked a little bit about in the early stages is that, you know, one of the coaches made a comment, oh, I feel like, you know, we're not operating as a team anymore. And I'm like, well, you know, why do you think that is? Because the four walls of a building doesn't necessarily promote the team it's how you operate with that athlete group that promotes the team. And so it's made some of the coaches reconnect to what is important to them to create that dynamic between them and their squad of athletes. And I'm not being, I'm not being critical, but it's easy to get into, I suppose, just a way of operating and nearly a laziness that the four walls or the constraints of being in one place every day just allow those things to happen, but actually you're not able to, you're not using the advantage of that. So it's actually been a nice recalibration period and a reconnection period for people to understand what is really important for them. Yeah, yeah. And is there, um, is, is, is there anything more? You know, we've been talking a lot with people in, in the business world about the importance, you know, of the ability to manage remotely now. And so, you know, yeah. able to kind of help people, support people, where you can't bump into them in the office, you can't have those kind of water cooler chat kind of things. Yeah. You know, is, is there anything else that's kind of coming up in that way, which has been interesting about the kind of the remote relationship or the kind of coach, you know, developing people from afar? Is there any other innovation? Or innovation? Well, I think, I think um, there's a couple of things there. I mean, I, I, it's interesting you say that. I'm fine. We're doing a lot of, um, a lot of Zoom calls, you know, Google Hangouts, all this sort of stuff. And what I'm really missing at times is those, the water cooler conversation you have after the meeting, which helps really sense check where things are so you have to work a lot harder to you know did that meeting really land or did people just go through the motions so there's there's something around that that i'm finding a challenge that to work on um i think what it's done um uh for the for the coaches it's actually really sort of reinforced again to them to reconnect to the empathy part of the role with the athletes whereas you know you know they they, they uh, going into, particularly in Olympic year, it was all about we've got to achieve this performance standard. You've got to achieve this result. You've got to achieve this volume of training. And while they're conscious of the person in that, that could be the sole focus when you've got that athlete in front of you and you've got these numbers coming up in front of you. But because you're now relying on your connection to the athlete through a virtual medium, you know, a few of them have talked about how they've really had to sort of like amplify that empathy side, which when they were, you know, sitting in Cavisham would sort of happen a lot, would, would either, wouldn't happen as easily, it wouldn't happen um, to the same level because people would just use the competitive environment around them to drag them along. Yeah. So they've actually talked about how that's actually, you know, a couple of the coaches talked to me about how they're really going to have to work on taking that forward because they feel like the performance advantage they're seeing at the moment is a real positive. And so how they take that back into the, the new normal is something they, they're trying to work through at the moment and develop in themselves. Yeah. Um, and so we're spending a lot of time also working with our coach developer to help the, co the coaches capture these learnings and then share and then also work on how they're going to put that in place when they go back in to the yeah. new norm. Yeah, and, and, you know, just really thinking about that, the, the challenge of your 120 people in the same space and being able to sort of do that quality individual focus. You know, yeah. 
in, in the same way as well. And, and uh, yeah, I guess, I guess the coaches are pretty used to being on the bikes and cycling up and down when the athletes are rowing and kind of getting a lot of the feel for what's going on. And you sort of use yeah. using a lot of their experience and their eye technically to kind of help guide and, and deliver and lots of video analysis as well. Uh, you know, I'm just, just wondering, are, that, are they still being able to use some of those skills as well? Are they still being able to kind of add value in some of the ways that they've done? You know? Yeah, 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 they are. I mean, they're still, they, yes, they're still doing, some, they'll do video sessions. You know, they'll do sessions with the athletes on the ergo where they'll get the athlete to video themselves and do a debrief session after that. You know what I mean? So um, they're still like, you know, sort of streaming themselves like in, a, in an ergo session. So they're still coaching when they can, um, you know, but they're relying a lot more on the athlete reporting and discussing with them. So they're having just to, I suppose it's recalibrating a little bit that, that relationship at the moment and how they can, you know, sort of like make advantage of, you know, take advantage of that at the moment. So. Um, and, and I think it's also it's sort of allowing the athletes to sort of you know, take a little bit more ownership of their individual needs at the moment um, and accountability because they've got to do the work. They just can't rely on the fact, you know, if you get out of bed, you know, and you're having a bit of an ordinary day and you turn up at Cavisham, well, because there's 60 other athletes there jumping on an ergo, you know, it's, <laughs> you don't question it, you just do and that usually drags you along. But now they've actually got to, oh, hang on, I've got to do this. And so that, that, that's challenging some of them, but it's also been a real positive for some of them to say, well, actually, I can do this now. And even if I had the 60 other athletes with me in Cavisham, I'd still be actively taking control of this and actively actually you know, being accountable to it, which will actually be better for me in the future. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and it must, must be interesting for you in kind of, you know, if we go back right to the beginning and we think about that, the performance director creating the conditions and making sure that the opportunity to keep developing is, you know, is, is there. It must be quite interesting for you doing that all remotely now as well, sort of rather than have, you know, is, is there anything you're sort of finding interesting or sort of, you know, exciting as, as a function of having this very umbrella view <laughs> looking down? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I think um, the exciting bit is it's, it's, it's actually causing me to sort of, um, question you know again what was I using uh when we're in that space that actually uh, I wasn't taking advantage of you know like the fact that I could just walk down the corridor and have a chat to someone next now I've actually got to actively try and look at how I'm influencing people and you know and I've got to do it in a way that they don't feel like I'm ringing them up you know yeah every day seven days in a row sort of last him to do something so it's how I'm how I'm connecting to people so it's just making me recalibrate my relationships with, with, with staff and actually one of the things I've been working on doing in the, in the cultural changes that we've been trying to put in place in, in, the, in the British rowing team was actually a bit more um, distributive leadership, you know, delegated leadership. And so this is a real opportunity to nearly to stress test where people are at with this because I've got to give some more accountability and responsibility to different coaches and different people. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's actually allowing a nice developmental opportunity for me and those people which would have been harder to do because it's actually just the normal routine of daily training and competition would have sort of taken over. So I'm trying to use that opportunity and it's just reinforcing, um, it's reinforcing that that's a really powerful tool if we get it right. It's just, a, it's, it seems to be taking a lot of energy and a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I just picked up, you, you mentioned sort of competition 
in that last thing as well. I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, obviously the athletes were probably now just about due to be going to Varese for the first competition of the year. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I'm just wondering about... They would have been racing right now. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> and I'm just really interested about sort of some of some of that competitive element as well that, you know, there's a, the athletes obviously get to practice in the white heat of competition and kind of you learn some different stuff there that you yeah. don't when you're training. And I'm just wondering what the thoughts are, you know, with through till beginning of September or, you know, what's the role of competition? How do you, how do you do something with that? Or do you just accept that it's not part of the picture? Uh, I think, well, first and, for, first and foremost to me, really successful athletes and really driven athletes, you know, they train to race. You know, <laughs> they don't do all this training just to, just to train, do they? So there's a key part of the driver for them is to go into race and compete. So at the moment, obviously, that's been taken away from them. So we're just putting, um, you know, as a group, we've agreed that we'll put several challenges in for them over the next few months that will be not a competition in the traditional sense of the word, but where they'll be putting themselves on the line to deliver a performance and it will be against their mates, you know, without it being anything that's aligned to selection. So, and we've done some things around different, um, I suppose, different distances. So it's not completely linked to the performance. So they're not, you know, because we're also conscious that if you're on your own and you're training and it's not going quite well, we don't need to spiral someone down. But like, so they all did a, they did a 3K ergo test a couple of weeks ago. And I think the last time they did one was like nearly 10 years ago. I think, I think Mo Sabihi might've been the only athlete on program who actually had a 3K ergo record. So everyone else got PBs. And I think he didn't, you know, sort of thing or something, you know, as a joke. But, but it was a different challenge, but they've been working towards that during the week, the two weeks leading up to it. This is a challenge. You're going to step up on the Saturday and perform. So it's still tapping into a little bit of those traits without the overlay of, comp- you know, the overlay of success or failure being too, too dramatic in what is an environment that's harder to support people with. You know, like we're in Varese, you've been there, you've been at World Cups, and we know some people succeed and some people don't. But you're there in the moment in time and you can help people very quickly recalibrate what they can learn from that racing opportunity, even if in their eyes they failed to deliver their performance. You can quickly recalibrate that and therefore get them back on track. One of the things we are conscious of is that we've got to be careful that some of these sort of performance elements that we challenges, I call them, put in, aren't a success-fail bit where we've got the less of a support around supporting them because they're just in a, a, unique, a unique space. So it's that balance of providing that competitive element but also giving them the challenge and, and support that they need. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and I, I think that's, it is all about being creative at the moment, isn't it? It's got to see where there's the yeah. opportunities. Yeah. And, so, and with, with the creativity of thinking as well, so where, where you go to a, from a four-year cycle to a five-year cycle and then to a three-year cycle for the next Olympic, yeah. what, what, what kind of um, what opportunity do you see in that? What, what, how, how, does, how does your kind of high-performance thinking help you look at that, that shift in what you know, we know is the established cycle? But how, how do you look at that and kind of go, right, here's how we use that? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because for us, um, I think I've been quite careful. We've got to be careful that we just don't think we're doing uh, an elongated sort of like fourth year that goes, it's not a 12-month of a year, it's a 24-month year. Um, because normally every 12 months, there'd be a, a real-life competitive element. Yeah. So uh, what we've tried to talk about is that we take all, we take um, from the winter period where we've done a lot of testing we take that forward and we go into a slightly different testing process. So instead of just going into Groundhog Day 
in the back end of this year and going through exactly the same testing process that we did from October 2019 to March 2020, mm -hmm. we're going to do a slightly different testing process, not starting from scratch, to sort of keep people fresh yeah. and actually look at it from the point of view as if this is a completely a unique year. It will never or potentially never happen again. And therefore, how do we use this to our advantage? So actually, let's not just replicate all the things we've always done. Let's take what works, which is setting high, high aspirational standards, a challenging testing and trials process, but do it in a slightly different way. So we start from bigger boats rather than smaller boats. We normally start in small boats. So yeah, the plan good. is potentially start in bigger boats and then use that to shape the competitive element and the training so that we actually hit the ground running as we go into the competition year next year. Um, so yeah, just looking at it from that angle and sort of it's nearly a, it's nearly a year one on its own. And then alongside that, we're actually running, you know, we need to run a, a pathway for those athletes that are more 2024 identified. And so how do we bring those through in the background while running an Olympic campaign? Um, you know, we're, we're, still, we're just working through that at the moment and looking at how we can do that without disrupting, um, sort of, you know, uh, trying to disrupt and trying to have two teams running at once because it just, we can't physically have the space. So we're looking at some different ways of influencing the athletes who will be our 2024 cohort how we work with them and their coaches not to normally we just sort of bring them into the environment we're not going to be able to do that because we won't have the space so how are we working with them so it's definitely raising some questions around how we influence support those 2024 athletes while still running a unique 2021 camp, olympic campaign yeah yeah no, 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 that's really clear and, and you know just just in, in terms of your personal role in this as well how, how are you sort of keeping your energy levels in shape at the moment you know because it's obviously different you're not getting the car every day getting to cabochon you know so what 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 do you do as a leader here to kind of keep in some kind of rhythm or routine that, that helps you uh yeah that's that's um uh yeah that's really interesting because actually um for the last two years i've actually um lived away from home pretty much monday to saturday so yeah. my family's in nottingham uh, i've been the 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 team's based in, in Cavisham and Reading, so I've, you know, I rent a bed sit down there. So my work environment and my, <laughs> my life balance when I'm down in Cavisham is very different, you know, yeah. uh, and yeah. I could be honestly very selfish because I'm just on my own. I get up in the morning, go to work. And so um, I'm now back at home and um, that's been a real challenge for me to try and get that balance right. Um, it's actually been a positive challenge. It's actually allowing some opportunity to reconnect with the family a bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's helping with some of the energy. Um, and yeah, look, I think one of the things I'm finding is it's, um, uh, I find the energy levels can swim a lot more than they normally would right. because you're on your own. So you come off a meeting either positive or negative. So I'm actually sort of trying to use some of the support, um, sort of mentoring networks a lot more than I normally would because I need to connect with people because I'm, I've just been aware that, you know, that one meeting might go really, really well. And you nearly get, I nearly find myself get a, an exaggerated buzz from it when it was just if I had been in Cavisham it just would have been sort of modu um, modulated by the reaction of everyone else around me mm -hmm. or the opposite of an, an exaggerated negative response and so it's trying to keep m myself in in a bit of um in a bit of sort of equilibrium uh, and alongside that uh, just get outside and got two dogs so take take the dogs for a walk every morning for an hour or so and yeah podcast in the ears and clear the head and you yeah, start again yeah, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been interesting listening to a lot of leaders talking about that kind of reconnecting at home. Um, 
and, and, and I think what's been interesting as well is that you kind of observe people kind of getting into something of a familiar rhythm with the new circumstances. Yeah. And, and, then, and then it's right, I've, I've now reacted and responded. Maybe I can start predicting a bit more how I'm going to be or what I'm going to do. And I don't, have you experienced any of, that, any of that where you're kind of feeling more confident to know and kind of be on the front foot? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the last, in the last, um, about two weeks ago, it was like, right, we've done the react respond piece. Uh, and so now, and, and, and as a, a leadership team, um, it sort of just it got my head around the fact that we had three strategic priorities this year, which was around um, delivery, delivery obviously of the Olympic campaign. Yeah. Uh, and uh, alongside that, we had evolution and retention. What were the elements of the program we were to start to evolve and how were we going to retain the good people or the good athletes for the next cycle? What we agreed was in, in October last year that delivery was the absolute priority and the other two would sort of take sort of a backseat. Yeah, yeah. And after we got through that react and respond piece, it was like, right, okay, guys, we need to revisit this because delivery now isn't for another 15 months and actually a real campaign is not going to start till September. We're in a holding pattern with the delivery. So it's time to like reprioritize evolution. So actually for me now, we're using this period to start looking at what were we looking to change post Tokyo? What could we bring in now or, you know, without sort of derailing delivery? What are some of the practices, some of the structures we were looking at? So that's sort of really, we're nearly sort of like accelerating that. And that sort of, I suppose, re-energized me in a way that's gone from that react response to actually, we're actually moving and shaping our future because actually we're looking at what we want when we get back into the new norm. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a classic training program, isn't it? You kind of put yeah. this in there and sort of make people sort of have to adapt and then you kind of yeah. start getting used to it and you can start coming back a bit stronger again. So, no, it's really, really great insights and really appreciate your candor with all of that as well. That, that's fantastic. Any, any, any last thoughts, just sort of interesting learnings, observations from you, sort of surprises, that you've, you've pleasant surprises that you've had just before we close off? Uh, no, I think, I, I suppose, not, well, pleasant surprises. I think what's been really encouraging for me is what this time has done is given a lot of the staff, like the coaches and even the support staff, more headspace yeah. uh, because they're not in that daily sort of like routine, which is very, very structured. You know, the, the routine of Cavisham, as you've seen, is the first session, 7.30, finish breakfast, second session, 11 o'clock, yeah. finish lunch, then this third session, if they're doing a third session, 2 o'clock. And it just constrains the day. So it's given people headspace to start thinking, well, how can I operate better? What can we do? But importantly, what it's done is not just given them the headspace now, but they're actually going, well, how are we going to take that forward when we move back into that modality of work again? Because actually I'm finding this really valuable having this extra headspace. I'm finding it's allowing me to connect with the athlete or the practitioner. So the coaches and practitioners are all... Or, or sort of recognising their relationship and their productivity as a coach-practitioner team has actually improved. So how are we going to take that when the constraints of that normal modality tries to impose on us? So uh, it's, it's a real positive that they've... Because that, that was something I was trying to sort of subtly shift or you know, sort of like um, reference for people, but they've now seen it for themselves, which is great. And actually, it's how we can help them take that forward. Yeah, and, and I think it's really interesting for everyone because the challenge is we're seeing loads of new stuff that works really well. How do we keep it live when we go back to some kind of normal and blend it in? But perhaps yeah. it'll be, again, more like a training program where it'll be, you know, there'll be yeah. 
blocks of it rather than it being a constant thread through everything. And I think that's the that, that's just where it gives people the chance to be creative about that and you know have different versions of stuff rather than you know a a, a single approach to everything as you go forward. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, cool. Really, really great to get the insights. So, Brendan, appreciate your time hugely. Um, all the best with the rest of the uh, uh, new version of the Cav the virtual Cavisham training uh, setup that you've got there. So, uh, yeah. and, and all the best when we come out of lockdown and you, and you get your chance to sort of march towards 2021 and seeing where you can uh, see see what all this adds up to for you as well. So, a pleasure to talk to you as ever. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening, everybody, and. Uh, uh, next week, I will be uh, getting into uh, some conversations back into the commercial world with um, Barry Moore, who is the VP of uh, Global Cities uh, at Adidas. So uh, we're getting back into a uh, still a nice sporting connection with Team GB and Adidas and all that kind of stuff. So uh, there'll be some uh, collaborations going on there between Adidas and Team GB. A little bit longer to get the kit ready for next year as well. But... Uh, yeah. Um, looking forward to that. Thank you again, Brendan. Thank you, everyone. Stay safe. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.